Hey, you're listening to The Credit Roll, an original podcast by Jamun. I'm a Beneath, a filmmaker, and like a lot of you tuning in, I'm looking to get better at what I do. In every episode of this show, I'll be speaking with professionals in the Indian film industry, discussing their journey, their process, and all the struggles they faced along the way. Today, I'm speaking to director of photography Ishan Chavla. He's been working freelance for several years now, is based out of Delhi, and has worked primarily in the non-fiction world with documentaries for notable names like Vice, UNICEF, CNOW, Google, and many others. He's also worked in advertising with Fox Life and the Epic Channel. Ishan, you have a very fascinating mix of work formats, genres, and mediums, and I'm really excited to dig into all of that and to have you on the show. So hello and welcome to The Credit Roll. Hey, Abhini Devi. So this may be an unconventional first question, but tell me about one of the worst experiences you've had on set. Yeah, so this project was uh, on which I wasn't the first DP, I was the second DP on the project. And I cannot name the project, sorry. But so it was an ad shoot. We were shooting and uh, basically one of the lights fell on the set. Basically the sofa that we were supposed to shoot on broke. And the entire setup, because it was specifically made for this uh, shoot, it got really fucked because the director lost his shit. The art department lost their shit. And uh, the DP, the main DP lost his shit because his men were fucking up. So basically the entire thing got pushed and it never got released. So in that process, I was a part of it and I was trying to calm my main DP and my light guys and, you know, all that was happening because I'm somebody who believes in, you know, there shouldn't be like negative, you know, feelings on set while we're trying to achieve something. But well, that didn't turn out to be so good. <laughs> so, yeah. Okay. Well, at least you kept a positive attitude throughout that whole situation, which is rare, but absolutely essential on a film set. Now, uh, now that we've started on this wonderful note, let's take a step back and um, taking a look at the big picture, how would you define what it means to be a director of photography? Basically, a person who handles the visual aspect of filmmaking. And when you particularly talk about director of photography, so it's a little different from cinematographer, not much, but a little when you come into the role of handling an entire department while the film is being produced. That is when you're called a director of photography, where there is the first AC, the second AC, assistant camera. Basically, they're assisting the cinematographer. So then there are, you have your gaffer. Gaffer is the guy who helps you light, the most important guy on set. If your relationship with your gaffer is not good, <laughs> then it's a problem. You have your grip guy who will uh, basically help you grip lights in uh, situations, also helps you grip your cameras. Uh, put your cameras in different locations and then you have different operators you have your camera operator so you have the cinematographer obviously who's operating the camera in certain situations but in certain situations he cannot there are multiple reasons for that so you have an operator who would replace you for just operating the camera but the vision stays off like the cinematographer then you have uh, you have the second dp second dp is the guy basically who's handling the second camera and uh, yeah. You mentioned DOPs that don't always operate the camera. And I am remembering now that there are cinematographers like Roger Deakins, for instance, who yeah. likes to shoot himself. He'll, he'll operate the camera himself. He described it as the best job on set. But then, you know, I've also seen cinematographers like Emmanuel Lubezki, who doesn't yeah. always operate the camera. He'll be directing it, like you right. mentioned. Um, and he'll right, have right. a team of people sort of working it out with him. 
So, yeah. so I, I guess it depends on uh, the demand of the film and and a whole bunch of other things. And I guess what your preference is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now that we've sort of covered the basics, let's rewind the clock and go back in time to the start of your career. You were never really meant to become a director of photography, right? You were actually studying business and hoping to get into law, something radically different. So tell us a little bit about how you transitioned to film and cinematography. What was that journey like for you? So the initial plan was that I get my degree in business. And then because I belong to a lawyer's family, like my chacha's in the army, my dad's a lawyer, my grandfather was a lawyer. So it was the obvious thing that Ishan's going to do law. But uh, also, like, I was a very bad kid when it came to, like, getting scores and grades. And so the only expectation my parents had was just, like, don't fail. Just get your degrees. So <laughs> I was like, okay, uh, I'll not do law. I'll do BBN. Probably after that, I'll do my law. And that is when I picked up the camera and I really got, like, into it. And they saw me, like, being into it, like, working towards it. After that, it was pretty much... Uh, like clear to me that I cannot be doing law because I cannot study more. Like I don't want to get into something that I really don't enjoy. It was pretty much um, one of those days where I um, had this discussion with my cousins and then I had this discussion with my mom and I told them that I want to get into documentary photography. And my mom was like, at least get a degree because, you know, Indian parents, they have this idea of having a degree. So I just got into mass comm. So that is how the transition happened. Also, during my grad school, I started picking up uh, work. Uh, I used to go to this place called back then called uh, Blue Frog. If you know of Blue Frog. I do. It's it's that club in Bombay, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So we had one in Delhi. And uh, back then, I, I used to go there and just attend gigs. And one of the gigs, I just took a camera and the manager came up to me and he's like, I've seen you twice or thrice you're shooting. Would you want to work for us? See, when you see that sort of money flowing in and you are also enjoying the process of shooting, that is when I thought that let's just take that leap into filmmaking and photography, majorly photography. I, uh, I admire your willingness to let go of something as lucrative yeah. <laughs> as law and instead tenaciously pursue your passion. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious, though, was there something in particular, maybe a film, for instance, that got you into cinematography? So after I was done with my grad school, I went to Symbiosis, Pune, to uh, get my degree in mass comm, right? And my idea was that I would just want to go to this college and stick with photography. But somehow I, I met people who were into video and who were into watching films and international cinema. And they introduced me to this whole new world of cinema, international cinema, which was Korean cinema, Iranian cinema. And that is when actually I really picked up like, you know, how scenes work, how lighting works and how colors work and how, you know, change in setup is working, lensing is working. And that is when I actually transitioned from being a photographer to actually shooting video. And that is what like probably made me interested in being a cinematographer. So you graduate and based on what I know, you started working with production houses full time. At some point in your career, though, you decided to forgo the, the much-desired stability of a permanent job and opt instead for full-time freelance. I, uh, I think about not having a permanent job and, and it terrifies me. Walk us through why you made that decision and um, were you scared shitless? Honestly, I wasn't scared because it just happened. 
just the idea of that you know i have to work for a particular place and i have to earn a certain amount of money wasn't in my head i just wanted to learn because filmmaking is a very practical thing to do it's not like business or law or whatever engineering that you have a certain term and you just read it and you learn it and you're done right you have to apply it so in the process of finding my own voice and learning things technically also i was always into the mindset that whenever there is an opportunity i will take it uh, the only down point when you are into a working structure like a production house you can't immediately leave right so there were a lot of problems then i realized when you're in a production system like in, you're in a production house and there's a system running it really kills your creativity so whenever i went to them with a documentary idea or with any sort of idea to experiment with and i would i would be like i'll shoot this with my own camera I, all i need is you to pay my expenses for the travel and stay and you will get like a very good documentary and they would never understand and that really annoyed me you know because probably they were coming from a space where we are target audience is not this and we don't want to spend money on something like this and that is why i decided that i'll not stick to a job and i'll freelance as as soon as i get like enough opportunities and that started happening in like 2017 a lot and then there was no looking back so now that you have been freelancing for several years how do you approach acquiring work what have you learned there is a lot of uh, self marketing you have to stay in touch with your friends you have to stay in touch with your contacts you have to constantly talk to them you have to constantly put your work out you have to make a show reel uh, you have to pitch ideas all this basically uh, gets like it comes to you like a production house everything's divided like there is a marketing department there is this there is that all you have to do is go use your skill set and then you're done with the job here you have to learn everything every aspect of filmmaking while you do it but if you're up for it it's the best thing that can happen to you I'm curious and this is more of a practical question but how do you deal with finances when your income isn't steady? I decided that I need 8 to 10 days of work a month for money. Beyond that, if the project is good, I'll do it even for free. And if the project is bad and it's giving me a lot of money, I won't do it. And if you start just working for money after a while, it just becomes like any other thing, you know? Then you're not trying to control your life. You're not trying to do things that you enjoy so i give myself that space those probably those 15 days in a month that i'm only working on projects that i like probably my personal projects once my money goal is sorted then it's absolutely fine what happens when your money goal is not met <laughs> has, has that happened yet? yeah 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 so the last 3 months i had no work right because of the corona pandemic and everything so uh obviously my savings played a major role of just helping me survive through the pandemic so that covers up and rest is just luck man like if some there are months that i have no work at all and there are months that sometimes i get paid a lot for even like a five day project which covers the next two months so there is this major fluctuation and disparity between you know the project and you know so it covers up it it really does So at the end of the day it's it's worth it for you because you get the chance to do the kind of work you want to do. Yeah. Which is a pretty fantastic privilege in this industry. And this actually brings me to my next question. Going through your filmography, it's clear that you have an affinity towards socially conscious work. This includes films you've done for Vice, Sinau, UNICEF, the Elected to Lead series and a whole bunch of other stuff. What draws you to this kind of work? Somehow I realized one, I wanted to stay with documentary second i really wanted to get into something that tells a story so what really draws me to this sort of format is that i love 
talking to people. I love listening to them and I love telling their stories. It came from a space where I really wanted to tell uh, stories of just common people because I'm not somebody who's had a fancy life. What I crave for is real stories. If I can tell someone's story and I can help them out in some way, my work is done. That is what really draws me to doing such content, such work. I see where you're coming from. And I think that's what's special about the medium. It has the power to do that unlike any other. So moving into a more production-related question, I want to ask you about on-location shooting versus in-studio shooting and how the two experiences can be different as a DOP. Everything is very, very controlled. From the movement of the camera, to the light, to the people, to what you're saying. Okay, and it gives you the space to probably experiment a little bit more in the studio with things. But also, it, it is kind of restrictive in a way where... Uh, that's the only space you have, right? Uh, but in that space, you can experiment. But with shooting outdoors, and specifically with me shooting documentaries, you don't have that luxury of uh, setting up things. You don't have that luxury of time. You don't have that luxury of lighting. You have to uh, make way for or make space for the glitches or the problems that are going to come up. Like you have to somewhere be ready for if this doesn't work out, what is the other option? So with the UNICEF documentary that you saw, in that particular documentary, the bits where we took the interviews, we couldn't fix it. We had to reach the location, decide on what looks the best for the person and also for the story because their stories were really like sad and really depressing. But at the same time, the people we were interviewing, the girls we were interviewing, they, they were very, very happy children they're very happy kids uh, so we wanted it to be while they're telling their stories it shouldn't be too dark but it shouldn't also be in the space where they're like just kids but yeah there are both pros and cons of both man like I, I get really thrilled shooting documentaries because it's so spontaneous and you have to be constantly aware of what is happening every time you know so essentially with studio-based filmmaking, you're working with a really controlled environment and with on-location shooting it's all about making decisions on the fly I'm curious, regardless of the two shooting situations, how important is your relationship with the director of these films? You really need to build that trust with your DOP for the director and they should both understand each other's vision. So there are a few directors I really work for all the time. Naman is one with, with whom I've just shot the Umar Khalid docu. So there are certain projects he'll always pick me up for because I, he understands my style of shooting and he can trust me with the style of shooting. Well, what is, uh, what is not a good working relationship <laughs> between the two? And, and do you have any horror stories around that? Yeah, in terms of uh, not having a good relationship, it could just be that they don't understand each other's vision. Simple as that. I've worked with directors who will come on set and they will not give a fuck about what's happening. And uh, yeah, probably they, they're not even interested in, you know, listening to your ideas or options or whatever visually. And my biggest thing that I've uh, come to is that I don't want to work for someone. I want to work with people. I don't want to work for people. And, you know, there's a very psychological thing to it. Obviously, the director is leading the entire project. No doubt about it. While we are shooting it, there is a, a certain sort of hierarchy that comes into play. And you follow it. It's absolutely fine. It's important for the production to happen. But in terms of vision, there should be a certain sort of respect for the entire crew everyone should have on set. That, uh, that reminds me of something that Ethan Hawke said about 
Richard Linklater, the director. Apparently, when Linklater was trying to get Hawk on board for Before Sunrise, he said, yeah. I'm inviting you to make a film with me. Yeah. And I, I, I think about that and I find it really inspirational because it emphasizes the collaborative nature of the filmmaking process instead of the director just being like a kind of dictator on set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So even if you pick up like a DOP, like uh, Christopher Doyle, who's worked for on a lot of Wonka Wai films, like there is a certain amount of trust. They just look at each other and they know, Acha, this is what he wants and this is what he wants. And, you know, and that is when a good film happens. Exactly. Right. Right. Okay. Now, shifting away from production-related questions, let's get into the artistry of cinematography. You mentioned earlier that what draws you to documentary filmmaking is telling somebody's story. When you have to tell someone's story, what is your goal as a DOP? Yeah. So again, uh, personally, for me, I choose to listen to them, like as in what the story is and who are we shooting and uh, what is the mood and the feel of their story. And I like projecting that, like if my mood requires something to be extremely gloomy, I really don't mind shooting in one corner with a black wall and, you know, just their light, like their face being lit and uh, just be there, be around and listen to them. You know, it just gives you an idea of what what is their like tone, like how do they speak, how much do they move, how, where do they look, you know, while they're talking to someone. All these little, little things matter. So probably if they look, if they're constantly looking at something that is kept at the back, you know, remove that from the frame, <laughs> you know, like, because it's so distracting for them, or maybe, you know, they don't like too many people around them, get everyone out. So that happens very, this thing, uh, when you are actually focusing on whom you're interviewing. So that's sort of my approach to lighting or setting up a frame. And if it requires me to set it up aesthetically where it looks nice, and so I'll do that. That's my job. If the director wants that, I'll do that. But as a personal choice, I only go with what the story requires. Right. So you're essentially trying to reflect the essence of that character through the tools of cinematography. And speaking of the tools of cinematography, I want to talk to you about lighting, color, composition, and lenses, and what role these four play for you as a cinematographer. So let's start with lighting. Why is that important? Simple for the mood. When we look at something, when you go out and you look at the sun and you see the sunlight falling through the leaves, it makes you feel something, right? This is what we exactly do. We try to recreate certain emotions through light. And this mostly happens in fiction a lot where you're trying to control the light and try to bring out the mood in a certain way. Uh, we do this a little, uh, like if we get time during documentary to do it, obviously, but that totally depends on the sun and the movement and everything. And and what about color? I'm, I mean, color too is about mood, but yeah. would you say there's something more to it? The color is mood and color is also character building. So let's, for example, let's take the film Dev D. So if you uh, look at that film and you look at the amount of saturation and color used in that film, there is a certain rhythm to the color also. So whenever Dave is angry or sad, uh, there is the use of color red. When he's feeling, uh, you know, isolated, the world around him turns blue and he turns yellow because he feels so isolated from the world. So that's how you probably enhance emotions of a character through light, through color. 
Uh, yeah, that, that that reminds me of, uh, of course, the Three Colors trilogy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Three Colors Blue, where uh, bl- the color blue is used throughout the entire film, not just in lighting um, and, and saturation of the lighting, but in objects, in clothing, yeah. and all this kind of different stuff to build uh, the sort of grief that the main character is going through. So, yeah. Um, okay, let's talk a bit about composition because for, personally, this is my favorite sort of aspect of cinematography. Just how, you know, the arrangement of an image can tell a sort of wordless story. So I, I, I want to ask you, how do you define composition and why is it important to you? Again, it depends on the story and what you're trying to tell. There are uh, times when it's an extremely close conversation and you're trying to put out a character's personal space and personal mind or thought and you want it to be a little suffocating, let's say. So you're up close and tight and that's what makes you decide. So like you were, you were talking about... Uh, 12 Years a Slave? Oh, are you going to talk about the hanging scene? Yeah, dude. That is a morbid scene, but it's one of my favorites in terms of composition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the scene where he's hanging from the tree and she comes in and she gives water to him. And that particular scene, if you look at it, he's on the bottom right of the frame and there are people moving and it's a very long take. And the camera doesn't change. Why? Because now you see people moving at the back. It establishes their his space. At the same time, his relation with people who really don't give a fuck about what's happening to him because they can't do anything about it. And that's how you compose scenes, I feel. You know, just to add to what you're saying, yeah. you hit the nail on the head. That that was one of the scenes that really got me into cinematography myself because it there's so much going on there, right? Because he's in the foreground, he's hanging. Yeah. Uh, he's like an inch away from death. And in the background, you have all these other uh, slaves coming yeah. out of their homes. Yeah, yeah. Certain kids are playing. Uh, people are, you know, tending to their chores. And the thing is, they can't do, like you said, they can't do anything about it. Um, and it's only because of the way that shot is composed that we're able to get all of that information. Um, but yeah, great shot, great cinematography. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, you, you mentioned lenses a bit. I just want to ask real quick, what's important about lenses to you? So basically, uh, with lenses, the thing is that um, every lens, every focal length has a certain uh, feel and mood to it. So let's suppose there's a 24mm lens, which is extremely wide, right? And my personal favorite uh, is the 35mm on a full frame, also because uh, I've always shot my documentary stills on that lens, particular lens. And uh, I think it's wide enough for me to capture the frame. And also it's good enough for me to go up close without distorting the subject too much and getting the interview. So if there is one lens that I really like, it's between 35 and 40. Uh, I really like that focal length. I think uh, the Coen brothers, that's their favorite lens. Yeah, 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 it is. is. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So taking all of this into consideration, what advice would you have for cinematographers just starting out? The basis of everything that a cinematographer does comes from photography because it's basically stills played 24 times right it's just one of those things so watch films watch a lot of films look at a lot of uh, documentary photography books look at a lot of every sort of film that you can even if they're bad films you know and if you like something pause it and have a look at the frame and try and understand what they're trying to do you really don't need a degree for doing this Obviously, it's a skill set that you need to acquire and it comes it's also very technical and it requires you to 
be physical physically active and you know but at the same time it's not something that you need a professional degree for and creating is really important my suggestion to anyone who wants to get into it get in touch with dops who who really are working and you know assist them also everything is available on the internet every little detail from lens to technical stuff to things getting released to how a film was shot the thought behind it the scene the colors every film that you pick up today and you watch there is a discussion happening online about it read those things give yourself 2 years doing this and probably you will turn out to be good with whatever you do you know i was thinking among everything you mentioned you brought up the physicality of cinematography and that reminds me of something sean bobbit said yeah 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 the cinematographer of 12 years a slave as we were discussing um great great cinematographer by the way yeah, yeah he yeah. he talked about how yeah. okay it's a very physical job so make sure your knees are good you got to do knee workouts yes. and you got to wear <laughs> shorts because if your movement is not good that's going to screw you over absolutely and he wasn't joking so it's a very physical job absolutely okay and along the same lines as advice what's the one film you want to suggest that an aspiring cinematographer could learn from madhyo mother it's a korean film bang joon ho yeah <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah yeah i love that film yeah yeah every frame of that film is a wallpaper just watch it man like <laughs> completely agreed okay now last question here since we started off with your worst experience on set let's let's end on a high note what's the best shooting experience you've ever had uh while we were shooting uh, the beti zindabad bakery documentary in chatisgarh the unicef docu it was a very small crew there were eight people out of which only our director was a female the rest of the crew were all men and we were shooting these rape victims right they were sex trafficked and these are like girls who are like 16 17 they're still very young and when we reached uh, and we met them i could see that sort of hesitation we did not say a proper hello there was they were very serious they were looking at, at us as if you know why are these men around our space this is the place where we live and we don't want them and by uh, the third day because they were seeing us every day they got slightly more comfortable and again these these stories that they were telling us they were hectic man like they they've gone through some real shit in life the fourth day we were all sitting together and eating and they were a bit more comfortable the fifth day we were all playing ludo together the seventh eighth day we were all joking cracking jokes with each other they were coming and they were trying to press the buttons of the camera and see how it looks what they were framing by the last day so we had like four cars and uh, three had left uh, so i was in one car with all these girls and i was sitting with uh, three girls at the back in the center so one of the girls looked at me and she said uh, ab aap wapas chale jaoge to aap hame yaad karoge and you know that transition from them being so conscious and cautious of the men around them to have somebody sit in the middle and just you know being comfortable to you know just you know maybe this guy is not that bad and maybe he's a nice guy and we enjoyed with him and just as like as friends you know will he remember us will he remember our story i think uh, i came back and i started crying in one corner and i remember that that day i decided that i'll probably stick to documentary filmmaking because i this is what i derive pleasure from if i could change even that one thought of these kids that you know everyone in the world is not as bad the world is not as bad you know every man is not trying to you know 
uh, be bad to them like i think that's that's all that's the least i can do and that's i'll be at it so that was one of the highest points in my career not a big film not my work getting released at pvr not documentaries reaching at a global level and going at cannes nothing that one line that kid said was enough for me to be happy and just stay with this i think that is a beautiful and poignant way to end this conversation and on that note ishan thank you so much for digging into what it means to be a director of photography your creative process and why it means so much to you it's been truly insightful and fun and educational so thank you for joining us on the credit roll all right thank you so much thank you that was our episode with director of photography ishan chabla and with that we hope to have you join us on our next conversation The Credit Roll is an original podcast by Jamon. The show is hosted by Abhinit Kumar. Producers are Rodan Bejal and Natasha Ratti Kapoor. Editors are Abhinit Kumar, Paras Gorung and Rukmini Roy. The artwork is by Sunath Vakrambam and the theme song is Song of Sadhana by Jessie Gallagher.